Welcome to Crossroads Church Podcast. We are located in Northern Colorado, and you may hear us refer to ourselves as Orange Dots of Hope. And what's so cool and exciting is that Orange Dots of Hope are not just located in Northern Colorado, but our community stretches literally around the world, and we are grateful for you. And this podcast is another way for us to make our world a little bit smaller. So it's so good to be with you. My name is Jessica, and I am your host. And Ryan is in a series called Campfire Stories. And I want to give you a little bit of an overview before I hand it off. Here is the big idea of Campfire Stories. We love to hear a good story. A good story transports us through time and space. A good story can bring us to something deeper than facts or fiction, truth. A good story can calm us or even agitate us out of our complacency. When we are feeling wounded, a good story can heal us. Jesus knew that short, memorable stories carry the deepest truths from generation to generation. So, Jesus told stories. The earliest followers of Jesus picked up the habit and told short stories about Jesus that would transcend time and space. These stories of miracles, betrayal, friendship, long journeys, campfires on the sea, deaths, and resurrection would eventually find their way onto paper and into our lives through the Bible. This summer, let's meet around the campfire and explore stories that can shape our spirituality and reveal the truth of God. Make sure you prioritize connecting each week, and that's what we're doing here on the podcast. After all, you never know who you will meet and what you will hear sitting around the campfire after a long week at work. So I'm going to hand it off to Ryan now for week three of Campfire Stories. Here we go. That music puts you in a good mood. It definitely does, no matter what. So good to see everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're online, if you're in the room, again, thank you. It's wonderful to be together. My name is Ryan, the lead pastor here at Crossroads, and welcome to week three of our series, Campfire Stories, where we're exploring truth in stories, whether we think of them as parabolic stories, whether we think of them historical, there's a whole spectrum of that, but we're looking for what's real. We're looking for how we take these ancient stories and apply them into our modern lives. Our anchor verse for this series, one I would encourage everyone to memorize, is found in John 21, 24. It says, there are also many other things that Jesus did, but if these were to be described individually, I do not think the whole world would contain the books that would be written. There's so many great stories out there about Jesus, about the impact of Jesus. I would say there are stories about the Word of God. John says that Jesus is the Word of God that took on flesh. We have stories about the Word of God at work all throughout the ages. And if we were to try and write all those down, it wouldn't, we couldn't contain it. And so we're looking at these stories. Uh, and so tonight I want to start with this question. Uh, and I want you to be honest. You don't have to write it down. You don't have to say it out loud because it could be embarrassing. But who's out there? Who do you not understand. 
You know what I mean? Like who in your life, who are the people, the people group, the others, the they, the thems that you go, I don't get them. I don't understand them. Maybe you'd even go so far as to say, I don't like them. Right? I could tell you some people in my life that are the days. I'll be honest and vulnerable. Right? I don't get people that like red vines more than Twizzlers. That's a whole category of people I'll never understand. They're the days. They're the others in my life. I'm afraid of them, quite honestly, that you would like something like a red vine over a Twizzler. I have a serious problem with you, honestly. Another thing that I just I cannot fathom that just disgusts me are Yankee fans. I don't know if you know that or not. And uh, for those of you that are keeping score, Rod Kaya has two out of the three so far. Two out of the three, Red Vines and a Yankees fan. Just total other, right? I mean, it's terrible. I don't get it. I'm from Boston, like, you just don't understand how people could ever like such an evil empire as the Yankees, right? But, you know, quite honestly, more than that, more than Red Vines people, more than Yankees fans, I mean, the complete other, the people I will never understand are cat lovers, like people who have cats. Like a cat to me is just an emergency room waiting to happen, right? Just cats will, they, feed, they, they, they lure you in. They're like, oh, I'm so furry and cuddly. And then they just, they'll just claw your face right off. I don't, I had a bad experience. So I'm not a cat person. You don't have a cat, do you, Ron? Okay, so two out of three is not bad. Right, But uh, we all have those people in our lives. Now, we, jack, we jest and joke around about some of these things, but in all honesty, there are people that are hard to love in our lives. There are people, if we're honest, that we just, we don't care to be around. We struggle to uh, find our way to love them. We struggle to encourage them. And so in your mind, your first fill-in on your talk notes today uh, is for you to not write in. I mean, you can if you want to, but I really want you to think, like, who... Who would the people that, who would that be that you'd say, I just can't stand, put it in there. I just can't stand, right? Uh, maybe you're listening, you're tuning in. Uh, maybe you're, you're not a person of faith and you're kind of tuning in because you have to. Mom said, come, or maybe the, the, the guy who invited you is super handsome and you're like, all right, I'll go. He's pretty good looking, you know, whatever it might be. But you would say, Christians, I can't stand Christians or judgmental. Maybe you'd say, I can't stand Muslims. I can't stand Buddhists. I can't stand atheists. I can't stand Democrats. I can't stand Republicans. I can't stand progressives. I can't stand conservatives. Oh, those liberals. Like we all could like come up with a category of people that we just don't get. Just like we could come up with a category of people that we would love, that we have empathy for, that we understand. We might be different, but we understand them. But there are those categories. There are those people that we would say, I just can't do it. Like, there's almost an anger towards us. Really behind all of that really is what we call around here a fear of the other, right? We just don't get them. And so we have and we hold inside of us towards people fear and anger. And here's, the, here's I think, the real issue, is that fear and anger that we hold and that we express towards other people, it leads to a spirit of elitism in our hearts and ultimately to the dehumanization of people. Right? When we're afraid of a person because their religion is different than ours, we're afraid of a person because their, their sexual orientation is different than ours, because their understanding of gender is different than ours, their politics are different than ours, they voted for someone we would never have voted for. When we hold that person at arm's length, when we keep them as an other, we will automatically just kind of rise to, oh, well, I'm just better than them. <laughs> I'm just smarter than them. I know how to vote. I know how to think properly around these things. And we kind of draw a circle and we say, anybody who kind of holds what I believe is in the circle, yay, 
okay. And if you get outside that circle, then I don't have anything to do with you. And you need to change before I can accept you into this circle. And if we carry that fear far enough, we'll just dehumanize people. People will become issues. People will become uh, problems. They'll become theological conundrums. And, and they'll, they'll lose their humanity. And then all of a sudden, we have no problems with the idea of our nation carpet bombing a part of the world. Oh, there's just, that whole place is so evil. Let's just get rid of them all. I mean, I've heard this. I've, we've been a part. This is where it goes to that we just, we don't even think about it. And we play war and we develop toys that look like machines that kill people, which is an, a complete dehumanization. And it starts and it goes all the way back to that simple little, like, how could anybody vote for that person? How could anybody believe that? And I think about, I think that we could all sit around a campfire and, and we could say, oh, that person just makes me so mad. And I would hope that somebody sitting around that campfire would say, oh, you know, that reminds me of the story of a guy named Jonah. The story of a guy named Jonah in the Bible. Jonah, uh, there's a book in the Bible named after Jonah, which is a story. It's a unique story. Jonah is called a prophet. He's kind of attached to a guy who has a pretty good reputation in the book of 2 Kings, but in the story that is kind of co-opting this character like he is, he doesn't ever get it. He just doesn't ever get it. And the story starts, it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. I love that phrase, the word of the Lord. Like, because when I hear the word of the Lord, I think of Jesus. I think the spirit that is inside and dwelling in Jesus, the incarnate one that was at the beginning, comes to Jonah and gives him this idea and, and, and speaks to Jonah's heart. And Jonah says, I don't like the sound of this. I don't think I want to, and, and the word Lord comes and says, Jonah, I need you to go to a place called Nineveh. Nineveh is about 500 miles to the uh, east of where Jonah lived. Right now, it would be in modern day Iraq near Mosul. And uh, Jonah says, I don't want to go there. It was the capital of the Assyrian empire at the time that the story of Jonah takes place. And uh, the Assyrians would eventually come and they would destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. They'd be considered the arch enemy of the Israelites. And Jonah says, this is a bad idea. I don't want to go. And, and the spirit kind of says to Jonah, no, I want you to go. And I want you to proclaim they have 40 days until their destruction because I've seen the evil and the corruption. And Jonah says, sure thing, you got it. And what does Jonah do? He says, nope, I nope that. I nope that. And he says, I'm going to go the opposite direction. So he gets on a boat that's headed to a place called Tarshish. And historically speaking, nobody's really quite sure where Tarshish is, but it's very, very far away. <laughs> And it's in the very, very opposite direction. And we just know that like, like ships would come into port uh, through the Mediterranean and they would have traveled a very long way. And so he just says, I'm going to go the opposite direction. So he gets on this boat and he's going. And while he's going, he falls asleep down below. And this huge storm comes and begins to just rage. And the ship begins to just like go back and forth. And, the, and it's threatening to break apart. And the sailors are freaking out. And they're throwing everything overboard. They don't know what's going on. And finally, they go down to, to Jonah. And they find Jonah asleep in the ship. Like everything's a mess. And so the storm at sea reveals Jonah's heart, right? Like he's just like asleep. He's like, I am not going to Nineveh. Whatever happens here is better than that nonsense. This is good because those people don't deserve my time. They don't deserve my effort. I don't care. I don't want to go. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so the captain comes and finds Jonah asleep and wakes him up and says, what is going on here? Like what is happening 
We can't figure out why the gods have caused this storm to come and is threatening to kill us all. And you're down here sleeping. So they cast lots. They get some dice. They figure, who's at fault? Jonah's at fault. So this is the first time Jonah speaks. He's like, yeah, you got me. My bad. You got me. I'm running away from the God of heaven and earth. And, uh, you know, this is a bad scene. I apologize. (laughs) And they're like, well, what do we do? What do we do? Now, you'd think Jonah would say, let's just go back. <laughs> let's just go back. Let's head back to port and everything will be fine. Turn me around. I'll obey. I'll go do what I'm supposed to do and everything. But no, what does he do? He says, I tell you what, throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. Let's not miss that Jonah would rather die than love his enemies. <laughs> right? Jonah would rather die. He's not like, throw me overboard. God will rescue me. He loves me. You know, no matter what I do. No, he's like, kill me. Everything's good. I don't want to go back. And they're like, we're not going to do that. So, so they start to row back as fast as they can. They're fighting against the sea, but they can't do it. So they say, okay, we're just going to have to throw them overboard. The rabbis actually tell this story. And you know what they say? They say that the, the sailors took Jonah and they dipped his ankles in the water to see what happened. And they would dip his ankles in the water and the storm stopped. Huh. And they'd pull him out and the storm would go back. And then they would dip him down to his waist. Storm would stop and they'd pull him back out. Then they would dip him down to his neck. Storm would stop. They'd pull him back out. So, so far, go, throw him overboard. So Jonah gets tossed overboard. Again, rather die than love his enemies. And then all of a sudden, Jonah flailing around this great sea monster swallows him up. Great sea monster swallows him up. And you know what? There's nothing that'll cause you to pray more than finding yourself inside the belly of Leviathan, right? Like think about Star Wars and that like, I don't know which episode it was, episode two, where there's that underwater scene and like this great fish like clamps down on the underwater spaceship. Like you get yourself into that mess. That's a good prayer closet, right? I mean, you're stuck in there. And so he's down there and he says, well, you know what? I got nothing better to do. I don't know how I'm alive in this thing. Let's pray. And so we have this beautiful prayer. And you know what it is? It's a prayer of thanksgiving, Seems like a weird prayer to pray. (laughs) But he prays this beautiful prayer of thanksgiving, recognizing and honoring that God is going to hear his prayer, that God is the one who rescues. And so they travel together for three days. And then finally, this fish spits Jonah back up onto the shore. And Jonah hears the word of the Lord a second time. And Jonah's like, you don't have to tell me twice. And so Jonah decides, I'll obey. But have you ever obeyed or done something grudgingly? You're like, your kids have done this. Maybe you've never done it. You're too good for it. But you tell your kids to do something and they only do it because they know there's punishment on the other side of it, right? And so Jonah kind of decides, okay, I'm going to go now. But what we see from the rest of the story is he really doesn't go with the right heart. He still goes with this hard heart that he doesn't really want to see God work. He doesn't want to be a part of this. And so, and so Jonah heads off. He takes this 500-mile journey to this city of Nineveh, this great city of Nineveh. And he starts walking up and down the streets, declaring, in 40 days, this place is going to be destroyed. In 40 days, judgment is coming. And it says that the king of Nineveh hears this. And the king of Nineveh says, oh, no. And the whole city calls a fast. The whole city, the king says, nobody, not a human being, not an animal will eat. And they turn away from their evil. And so when they they call this fast, they change their policies. They, They totally shift. They move away from what they were doing to the point where God sees this and relents and the city is saved. 
So God's anger is kind of uh, mitigated through their fast and through their repentance. And you would think Jonah would be like, man, I am good. I am good. God chose the right person for this assignment. Look at what has happened here. Righteousness has been restored. Justice is in the streets. The oppressed are running free. I am amazing. No, he gets angry. So what happens? Jonah's anger replaces God's anger. Because Jonah now probably thinks, man, now I just look like a false prophet. They just think I'm crazy. Or worse yet. And this is what he says. Like, I knew you would do this, God. I knew it. This is why I didn't want to come here. I knew you would say, I knew it. And so he, he goes up angry outside the city. Won't even stay in the city. Won't even hang out and celebrate. Won't even like see the change. Goes up, goes up on top of the hill and he watches, hoping that they screw up. And so he's watching out and God says, I got to do something here about this joker. I can't imagine what is going on with this guy. And so God recruits a, a plant, a worm, and a wind. He says, I'm going to make a point. So Jonah's sitting there. He kind of builds this little hut and God causes this plant to just grow in one day. This huge plant grows over him, covers him and all this shade. And it is hot and it's beating down. It's like 97 degrees at 5,000 feet. You know, the sun just beating down. It's just crazy. But this plant comes and gives him shade and he's like, oh, it's so wonderful. He's finding relief from the sun. But then God causes this worm to come and eats up the plant. Instantly, a plant dies. And then God says, oh, let me bring a, a big old heat wave in. Right? So an even bigger, a big heat wind comes in. And now Jonah is just like so angry. And he's just like, just kill me. Just kill me. And God says, hold on a second. Hold on a second. And the story finishes like this in, in Jonah chapter 4. God says to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the gourd plant? I mean, do you really have a right? I mean, and Jonah's like, yes, I have every right to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord says, you're concerned and so worried about this plant that has died and it cost you no effort. You didn't grow it. It came up in one night and in one night it perished. He says, should I not be concerned over the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot know their right hand from their left, not to mention all the animals? Don't, don't I have the right to have a, a bit of passion for them? It's such a beautiful story of God's grace and God's love for the people that we don't want to have anything to do with. And now as we think about this story of Jonah, when we, when we think about it in the shadow of the New Testament and in the shadow of the cross, in the shadow of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we know that that only son gave his life to die on a cross for the sins of the world. And when we think about these two stories together, there's something we shouldn't miss. There's a huge truth that comes that makes this story real, that makes this story bigger than history, bigger than an argument about whether a fish can swallow a human being and a human being can live, which a human being can't. It, you can't. But that's not the point of the story. Here's the point. Like, we shouldn't miss this. It's, the, it's what transforms us and it changes us. It's this. It's that God loves and God died for the people we would rather die than love. See, God loves 
and died for the people that we would rather die than love. When you think about that other, whoever it might be, that that their policies disgust you, their theology angers you, their economics you can't understand, their morality you think is vile and an abomination. You see, those are the people that we would honestly rather die than love. And God says, no, they're mine. They're mine. So I have four truths for us from Jonah for our everyday normal lives. If we'll grab, I think can transform us and shape us. The first is this. We see this in this beautiful story is that God is responsible for all creation. And God takes that responsibility very seriously. So when the sailors come and they ask Jonah, who are you? Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. It's a theological statement. It's an affirmation. It's a statement of faith that everything is God's. And it's a hint that even Nineveh is God's. Everything is God's. And we ought to remember that, that all of creation flows from, and God is responsible for its beginning, is responsible for its care, is responsible for its life. God takes seriously that this is God's earth and we are stewards of it and the people in it. Second thing we see from this beautiful story is that Jonah invites us to remember that God is found in the moments when we feel the most alone. We're invited to remember God to when we feel the most alone, when we feel the most down, when we're in the darkest spaces of grief, when we're in the emptiest moments of rejection, when we feel like we have dug the hole ourselves or somebody has thrown us into the pit, we are invited to remember that God is present. In chapter two, verses eight through 10, this is his prayer. He says, when I became faint, I remembered the Lord. I remembered Yahweh. I remembered my God. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. You have to imagine that this prayer leaves Jonah's mouth in this great fish and travels all the way back to the temple where God was thought to dwell. And God is present and God is listening and God is hearing. And there's hope in that. There's hope in the mercy of God in remembering this is God. But those who worship worthless idols abandon their hope for mercy. You see, there's so much hope there. There's such a deep truth here. And it's not God sends punishment and fish and whales and you better watch out. No, that there's hope in the belief that God is present, that there's hope and there's so much power in that hope. He says, so I'm not going to be that one. I'm not going to worship worthless idols. I'm not going to abandon the hope that comes in believing that God hears my prayers, but I will with thankful voice sacrifice to you. I will worship you. What I have vowed, I will pay for deliverance is from the Lord. See, there's hope in believing that God is a God who rescues, even when we're the ones holding the shovel. (laughs) Even when we're in the fish and it's our own fault, And that's the parable. That's the reality that the more we run away from love, the more we run away from inclusion, we actually find ourselves farther and farther and farther away from God. See, Jonah actually says, I was fleeing the presence of the Lord. (laughs) And, And all we do is emotionally flee from the hope. We just pull ourselves farther and farther away. And that's the fish that we're in. But it's when we can turn and say, okay, I'll be a part of the inclusion. I'll be a part of loving. I'll be a part of embracing what I don't understand and seeing God correctly and and with this universal love, that's when I find that hope. And so this is the third thing is that I think the story of Jonah teaches us that God shows universal mercy, universal kindness, universal grace, 
universal patience for all people, regardless of religion. You know, this story, like the Ninevites didn't build a temple to Yahweh. Had, this story really, had, it's, it's such a powerful story that we have over and against, like a chosen people, that there is a place for that, that God chooses to represent the beauty of God, but that does not in any way exclude the rest of the world and the rest of the world's religions. The people of Nineveh were not called to build the temple, move to Jerusalem, make sure you get the sacrifices right. That wasn't it. This universal mercy is thrown at people Because God saw by their actions, this is what it says, when God saw by their actions how they turned away from their evil way, he repented of the evil he had threatened to do to them. He did not carry it out. Get past the archaic language, get past the ancient understanding that God produces evil and repents from evil. The story is telling us something very powerful, that the actions that we do produce pain in this world or they produce relief and love and grace in this world. And when we act in a way that produces equity, when we act in a way that is just, when we act in a way that is righteous for the flourishing of all humanity, we're living in the blessing of God. That's just how it works. That's how flourishing works. And you say, well, well, what did a fast look like for such a pagan group as the Syrians? Well, I have to imagine it looks like the one that God reveals that is important in Isaiah 58. This is what Isaiah, Isaiah 58 gives us this beautiful picture of the type of fast that God longs for. So this is what I think happened in the story. This is what I think the reader, the hearer would understand that took place because this is what would have been in the hearts and the minds. Like Isaiah is told to cry out full-throated. I love that phrase, unsparingly. Just shout it out. Let your voice go. Proclaim to the people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Well, what is it? Well, this is, the, this is the people of God. This isn't the Assyrians. This is the people of God. They seek me day after day and desire to know my ways like a nation that has done what I've asked, like a nation that has been just, that hasn't abandoned the judgment of their God. They ask of me just judgments and they desire to draw near to God. They say, why do we fast, but you don't see it? Why is that? God says, well, on your fast days, you carry out your own pursuits. You drive all your laborers. On your fast, you just quarrel and you fight. You strike with wicked fist. Don't fast as you do today to make your voices heard on high. Is this the manner of fasting that I would choose? A day to afflict oneself? In other words, like, is that really what you think I care about? That you spent all day in church? That you fell flat on the ground while you had workers out in the field? Is that what you think? Like, while you continue to have unjust scales, you continue to oppress people? Is that what you think I'm looking for? That you'd bow your head like a reed? Oh, I'm so sorry. That you would put sackcloth and heap ashes on your head? Look at me. Look at how sad and sorry I am. Is this what you call a fast? A day that's acceptable to the Lord? No. And this is what I think happens in the story. This is what we're meant to understand that this pagan nation did. They didn't adopt the the religion of Israel. They didn't start only worshiping Yahweh. That's nowhere in the story. In fact, it's a very fascinating way in which the story depicts the names of God in it. No, it says, this is what I want that you'd release the bonds that are on people in an unjust way, that you'd untie the thongs of the yoke, set free the oppressed, break off every yoke. Is it not sharing your bread with the hungry? Is it not bringing the afflicted and the homeless into your house, clothing the naked when you see them and not turning your back on your own flesh? Then 
Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your wound shall quickly be healed. Your vindication shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the accusing finger and the malicious speech, if you lavish your food on the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will be like the midday. Then the Lord will guide you always, bring you water in those parched places, give strength to your bones and you will be like a watered garden like a a spring flowing whose waters never fail. Now, nowhere in that is, well, we got all the sacrifices right. Thank God for that. Thank God we showed up on the right day to church. These are wonderful human constructs that help keep God front and center in our lives, but they quickly become empty religious things that just justify our ability to not like certain people. And God says, this is what, and that's what happens in Nineveh. It's not, oh, let's set up the temple. No, it's, wow, we have been oppressing people. And they started taking care of their poor. They changed their ways. That's the power of the story for us. And it teaches us this final thing, gives us this beautiful wisdom that we, as human beings, have no right to fear, to hate, or to neglect those that God loves, includes, and died to save. We have no right to do that. And the story is timeless and powerful because in every generation, we find that group that we don't want to love, that we want to exclude, that we want to say isn't worthy, that we want to say they need to change, that they're outside of the circle. And this is a beautiful story that presses with the question, do you have the right to do that? Do you have the right to be angry and exclude? So Jonah's super mad that God brings grace and relents. And Jonah says this, oh Lord, this is not, (laughs) isn't this why I said what I said while I was still in my own country? I mean, I said that you would do this. This is why I fled first to Tarshish. This is why I did it. Because I know, look at how, what he's mad at. I know you are gracious. Oh, it makes me so mad. Oh, and you're merciful. Abounding in loving kindness. Oh, repenting of changing your mind. Oh my gosh, I can't stand this, God. Why can't you be more angry and judgmental? And And this is what we as humanity want to make God all the time, all the time. And God gives us these beautifully inspired moments where we go 5,000 steps forward in our understanding of God. I mean, he's so angry. He says, just take my life from me right now. If you're going to be this good, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And we laugh. But we do it all the time. Well, if they change, then they can go to heaven. If they change, then they can lead Sunday school. Because I've got it figured out. And I know where God's mercy ends and judgment begins. Oh, man, this story teaches us to be very careful to assume that responsibility. If we will get a hold of these, if we'll actually live by these four truths when we start thinking about the other, when we start thinking about the person that's so hard to love, when we start thinking about that person that we just go, I hope I never have any contact with them, we will start to actually participate in the healing of our Ninevehs. (laughs) Because we all have Ninevehs. We all have these places and spaces 
that we don't want to be a part of, that we just want God to judge and deal with. But God has opened our eyes to that pain, has called us to it. There's a German theologian named Hans Walter Wolf. In 1965, this is what he wrote. 1965. How timeless is this? He says, Nineveh, the name, always has a powerful impact as a world city. But Jonah is not supposed to go to the whole world. Go to Nineveh, one place, one city. And he says, just as the New Testament links Bethlehem and Caesar Augustus, Golgotha and Pontius Pilate, Paul and Rome, Jesus and all the kingdoms of the world, so Jonah is linked with Nineveh. To go to Nineveh, that means for us today, listen to this, to let the great needs and the great instance of evil in the world completely determine the direction of our effort and our life work. The great needs ought to drive us. The great evils ought to drive us. The five unacceptables that we have discerned through God's spirit that we as a church are going to press into, those have to drive us and determine our work. That's what it means to go to Nineveh. That's what it means right now. And if we don't, if we don't see our human failure to care for the sick and the old, our failure in the work of education at home and in the developing countries abroad, if we don't recognize that, we're just avoiding Nineveh and we're saying, we don't care. Let God destroy you. Or the monstrous dangers that are connected with manipulating human beings through drugs and the lack of genuine care of souls. Like This is what it is to go to Nineveh. But if we choose to turn a blind eye, if we choose to accept what should be unacceptable, We're missing it. This is what he says. Go to the one place whose great needs God has opened your eyes to see. Go to the one place. Risk your life and prepare yourself to that which the Lord commands. Jonah is, after all, an individual. Jonah wasn't called to fix every problem in the world. The word of the Lord came to him. There's a great need, a great city, go. See, what I think happens is those spaces that we find ourselves wanting to avoid, God's saying, just go and be there in those spaces. Be proximate. And when we get proximate to the Nineveh in our lives, the Nineveh transforms us if we will let it. You see, Jonah, he wasn't transformed by it. Why? because he didn't get proximate. Sure, he walked through the streets and shouted from a distance, but then he went up on the hill. He wouldn't sit and watch. He didn't get to know the culture. He didn't get to know the people. He didn't get to see the change of heart. He didn't get to see their humanity. They were a problem. They were a difference. They were an other. And so he sat from a distance, but he never got to see it. So we leave the story of Jonah with him angry and bitter, trying to understand, should God actually care about these people I hate? This guy named Brian Stephen, who has done tremendous work in, uh, in the criminal justice reform, uh, working on death row, wrote a book called Just Mercy. If you haven't read the book, read the book. Powerful. He talks about this. He talks about the power of proximity and what that did in his own work as he got proximate to people who were on death row with mental illness who didn't have money for uh, the right kind of legal counsel and sitting there innocent for years and years and years and decades. He founded something called the Equal Justice Institute. He was giving a lecture at Boston College and he said this, to change the world, 
to change the world, we are each going to have to find ways to get close to people who are living on the margins of society. We're going to have to find ways to get close to the people that are the others to us, that we don't want to, that we just don't think they're worth our time. And he argues that politicians make the grave mistake of trying to solve problems like poverty and mass incarceration from a distance. And it won't happen because you have to get close. He says this, it's actually in proximity to the poor that we hear things that we won't otherwise hear, that we'll see things we won't otherwise see. The things that we hear and the things that we see are critical to our knowledge and our capacity to problem solve. Now you can take the word pour out and put whoever that other is, whatever your Nineveh is, whatever the place is, you're like, God, please do not send me there. You get proximate and you see this is a human being made in the image of God. So we're gonna get out of here. We have a song to listen to as we kind of wrap up that just is hopefully a prayer that I I hope we'll pray together as, as a church and as individuals that I will go to that, you fill in the blank. (laughs) I will go to them. I'll be present. I'll trust in God's mercy and loving kindness and graciousness. I'll trust that, that I don't know what repentance looks like. I'll just trust that God does. And so as we kind of listen to this song, what's God inviting you into? Maybe you're listening, tuning in tonight. Maybe you're here in the room and you actually feel like the Ninevites. You feel like you've just been cast out by people like Jonah, judged, that you don't fit in. Well, I hope you hear that God's inviting you to know that you are loved, that you are invited to a life of community and faith. That no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you are loved equally in this moment now as in the worst moment of your life. That's, that's the goodness of God. Maybe God's inviting you to just begin praying for the others. (laughs) Begin praying for those that you don't think are really worthy of your time and attention. Maybe there's a call to our own personal repentance to just admit it. Yep, I don't want to give those people the time that they need. I don't want to be friends. I don't want to see them. I don't want to have anything to do with it. God, you just do your thing. Maybe God's just inviting you to start praying. And maybe God's calling you to intentionally make choices to live a more inclusive, justice-loving, mercy-oriented life. To think about what am I doing with my time, my talent, and my treasure that I could actually go into that area, that group, that way of thinking and just understand and be loved. So take a few moments, just allow God to kind of wrap things up for you this evening. And then I'll be back with a blessing for us. Thank you for such a great message, Ryan. And before we close out with the blessing, I want to update you on a few things going on and ways that you can stay connected or become connected in this Crossroads Network. First of all, you can go to crossroadscolorado.com gather to access our digital connect card. That's a great way to put your name and your email down and let us know that you are listening for the first time or if you are a regular listener on this podcast. So there's also a section of the connect card where you can submit prayer requests or ask for information on things. 
and we would love to stay in touch with you. Let us know what is happening in your life and how we can be of support. Also, we are gearing up for an incredible kids adventure camp, which begins August 2nd. The camp runs August 2nd through 6th, and it's not too late to register. Any kids that you want to register, neighbors, grandkids, friends of your kids, whoever they might be, kindergarten through fifth grade, we would love to have them at camp and you can still register them at crossroadscolorado.com slash camps. And also, if you would like to volunteer, you can volunteer at that same site. So let's all put our time, talent, and treasures into making it the best week of the summer for the kids in our community. Well, I hope you have an amazing week and wherever you are now, I am going to close us out with the blessing from Ryan's message. May God bless you and keep you. May love cause her light to illuminate the path to your Nineveh this week. This week, May you find yourself in proximity to the ones outside your comfort zone. May your heart be filled with the love God has for all creation. May you learn and live the truth of Jonah, that God cares for every part of this world and calls each of us to participate in the care of it, and that those we find most difficult or unworthy or immoral or even evil are the ones we should walk towards with mercy and curiosity, not away from in judgment and anger. And may you experience a salvation from anger and judgment that can only come through loving and experiencing the others in our lives. And may you embrace the mystery that you need Nineveh more than Nineveh needs you. Have a great week. See you next time.